0: first lesson comes from Genesis chapter 15, beginning at the first verse. After all these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my household is Eliezer of Damascus. And behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household shall be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. And the Lord said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, O Lord God, how shall I know that I will possess it? And the Lord said, bring me a heifer three years old, and a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And Abram brought these and cut them, in half and laid each half over and against the other, but the birds he did not cut in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dread and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said, Know for certain, that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not their own and they shall be servants there and they shall be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation they serve and they shall after that come out with great possessions. As for you, you will be buried with your fathers and will be buried at a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down, Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we believe that all Holy Scripture is written for our learning And so we pray now that we would so hear, read, learn, mark, and inwardly digest this, your holy word, that we would be changed more and more to be like Jesus for the sake of the world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. how can I know that God will stick with me on this adventure of faith? How do I know that God will stick with me on this adventure of faith? What kind of commitment has God really made to you and to me? You know, I loved working at Starbucks when I was in college. And Starbucks loved me working at Starbucks. They really did. I was an excellent employee. I was celebrated as employee of the month. I got the red apron once for highest sales. And when I left, uh, I was told by my shift supervisor, by the store manager, by the regional manager, the same thing. You can come back anytime you want. Your job is secure. You come back and we'll hire you on the spot. Just make the phone call. It was a guarantee. And I took that with me through the rest of college. I left after about my second year of college, and it was a couple years later, I was in a pinch, and I'm like, I need to go back and get a job at Starbucks. So I went back to my store, and they were very polite, but then the paperwork was sort of slow. And then I made a few phone calls and no one would call me back. And I said, this doesn't feel like the commitment and guarantee that was made to me. And I kept harassing them for weeks on end. And finally, I got someone at the corporate office to actually get on the phone with me and said, yes, Paul, you were a model employee. We can see it in your record until you didn't show up for your last shift. And I said, oh, that's right. I didn't. My boss and I had gotten into a bit of an argument about the shift, and I said, ah, I'm leaving. Who cares if you don't show up for your last shift? And I didn't show up. And they said, we're never gonna hire you. The commitment they made to me was broken, but it was all my fault. The commitment they'd made to me was broken, but the truth was I knew it was all my fault. So as a person who on a daily and weekly basis can so readily ruin everything and be unfaithful, I ask again, how can I know that God will stick with me on this adventure of faith? How can I know that God will not eventually say, well, you know, I was committed to you, but you broke it. It's your fault. This is why we need Genesis 15, and herein see the entirety of the gospel. See, here's what Genesis 15 tells us. If you turn there with me in your Bibles, Genesis 15 will show us that God's commitment to you and to me, to Abram, is not conditional. God's commitment to us is not conditional. Genesis 15 shows us that God's commitment to us is covenantal, it's a promise and we can know it. We can know the truth that this is covenantal. We can know that God will not tire of us, that God will not abandon us, that God will stick with us as we look to the cross. See, we see at first here in Genesis 15 that God's commitment to us is not conditional. Verse one, God is really answering the fear behind all fears. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. What God is saying is I am committed to you, Abram. I'm still committed to you. I've got your back, I am for you. All those promises I gave you back in Genesis 12, they're still all true for you. I am for you. See, the fear behind all fears is what? The fear of death? No, even worse, the fear of abandonment. The fear behind all of our fears is the fear that somebody who has promised to love us, who's promised to stay with us, will in fact turn from us and abandon us. And the worst part of it is, it's not even that we'll just blame them. We'll end up blaming ourselves. We'll be like, "Yes, yeah, see, I know. I, I was just too much or I wasn't enough. You know, Abram can see in verse Two and three, he lays out all the problems that are in front of him. These great promises back in chapter 12. I'm gonna give you land, I'm gonna give you offspring, and I'm gonna bless you. Abram says in verse two and three, O Lord, what shall you give me? For I continue childless. All these years later, since you told me, I'm still childless, and a member of my household, Eliezer of Damascus, one of the servants, will I guess be my heir. What Abram is saying. Is everything in my life, oh God, right now is looking like maybe the promises you made to me are not gonna come to pass and maybe, oh God, it's because you're having second thoughts about me? I mean, I I get it, God, I'd have second thoughts about me too. You know, Abram has not been exactly the picture of exemplary faith and he will not. As he continues forward, there will be big slip-ups. Look at Genesis 12, that moment when the great promise was given at the beginning of Genesis 12. What does Abram do at the end of Genesis 12? He goes to Egypt, and he's so afraid that the Egyptians are going to kill him because of his beautiful wife, Sarai. He says, let's just pretend you're my sister. And Pharaoh takes his bride into his house. Abram will do nothing about it. Thankfully, God protects her and says to Pharaoh, this man is not his sister. Genesis chapter 16, just after this moment. Abram and Sarai will have a great idea. Yes, it was Sarah's idea, but man, Abram was on board. Let's fulfill the promise, not through my barren wife, but through the serving girl, Hagar. That sounds like a great idea, Abram says, and the whole Ishmael story takes place. Chapter 20, if he didn't learn it in Egypt, now Abram is gonna run into a king named Abimelech, and again, he's freaked out about his beautiful bride and says, Remember Egypt, let's do this again. You be my sister. Abimelech takes her in the house again. God protects her, not Abram protects her. I mean, this is why we need to recognize that when we look at these characters in scripture, our job is not to try and become like these characters, right, but learn from them. My wife does not want me to be like Abram. (laughs) The only hero of scripture is the Lord. Abram is laying out his honest concerns before God. God, it looks like this isn't coming to pass, and I get it if you've had second thoughts about me. I'd have second thoughts about me. Friends, this is the world we live in more and more. Commitment just doesn't seem to be what it used to be, does it? I mean, we live in a world, in the words of Polish philosopher Zygmunt Bauman, that is really kind of a liquid love kind of world, right? Where love and commitment is voluntary, It's sort of loosely held, easy to get out of. That's the world we're constantly floating in and living in. And as a result, it creates two things. It creates insecurity and it creates shame. Insecurity in the sense that if love is really kind of liquid and commitments are pretty fluid, then I need to do everything I can to make myself really lovable I need to make myself a a, a real choice product out there in the world. Like, I need to be so smart and so attractive and so good that nobody will abandon me. It's all on me to make myself lovable. And when that fails, as it will, then in comes the shame. I wasn't enough. I couldn't be enough. And shame comes. You know, shame is actually a good acronym for those moments when we feel like, you know, I just have totally failed to be the perfect person I was supposed to be, to be lovable enough for someone to stick with? Shame. Should have already mastered everything. Should have already mastered everything. And we feel it. You know, it was just a few weeks after I first arrived here at Christ Church, that the power went out in the middle of a service. Some of you may remember that. It's just interesting. This past week, we just celebrated the the seven-year mark of when I was elected as rector here. So I've been here a full seven years now. And it was just a few weeks into this new call, this huge new call in my life. And middle of the service, went out. I mean, it's daytime. It's okay. It's not like we're in pitch black, but the lights went off. The sound system went off. And the next words that came out of my mouth were, well, I knew it was only a matter of time before I broke everything. <laughs> you know, and everyone laughed, right? But the truth was that was coming deep out of my own insecurity and shame. And we all feel it. Will you stay committed to me Despite me, will you tire of me? Look what God says in verse four and five. He says, this man will not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. He restates the promise, takes him outside. Says, look toward heaven, number the stars. If you're able to number them, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed God and he counted it to him as righteousness. God is restating for Abram his commitment to him. He's saying, even when it doesn't look like things are working well, even in your hardest moments, my commitment to you has not wavered. My commitment to you is never conditional. My commitment to you is covenantal. You know, those words from Lamentations chapter three, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. New every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. Great is thy faithfulness. God's commitment to you and me and Abram is not conditional, it's covenantal. Look at verse 8. It's interesting because in verse six, Abram's just said, we're told that he believes God. He believes the promises, right? And God reckoned it to him as righteousness. It's a huge moment in the history of Israel. Abram believed God. He trusted in the promises. What's the next thing that comes out of Abram's mouth? He says, oh Lord God, how can I know that I will possess the land? And you wanna say, didn't you just say Did you believe God? Now you're asking to know? And he is. He's saying, like all of us, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, I want more certainty. I want more confidence. I want my faith to grow. Lord, help me know this. And friends, if you think that biblical faith and a growing sense of confidence and certainty are living in two different arenas, then you're not looking at biblical faith. Yes, faith has doubts. Mixed in within it. That's the nature of faith. We don't see everything. I like how Friedrich Biechner says that doubt is the ants in the pants of faith, it keeps it alive and moving. But faith is not unreasonable, faith is not blind, faith is not something that we simply go on a wing in a prayer with, with no sense of confidence. In fact, faith is something that's to grow. We are to grow in our confidence. We're to grow in our knowing. Abram says, I want to know that this is going to happen. And you notice what God does? God doesn't say, oh my goodness, I've got to tell you again. Come on, Abram. No, God is totally happy to answer this request. Abram says, how can I know? And God says, go get me a heifer three years old and a female goat three years old and a ram, three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And we say, what? But Abram knows exactly what's going on. He he goes and gets it right away and starts cutting them up. And you're like, what is going on here? Abram asked how he could know, have a greater sense of certainty. And God says, go get these animals. He gets them and he starts cutting them in half. What gives? Here's what gives. God is telling Abram he's gonna make a covenant with him. He's gonna sign a contract with him. He's going to make a promise to Abram. See, in our modern world, we make contracts. Covenant is another word for contract. It's a binding agreement. We make contracts with paper. We sign contracts. Good paper makes good friends, as they say, right? We sign contracts. And what are the, there's all the terms, and what's the penalties? Well, lawyers are the penalties. If you do not live up to your side of the contract, in come the lawyers, and you fight over the various terms that you fail to keep. It's, it's one level of making a contract. The ancient Near East, much more creative. They didn't sign contracts. They cut contracts. They literally cut animals in half and laid them on the ground and then acted out the binding promises of the agreement. And here's what happened. They would say, okay, here's, my, here's what I promise. And, and both parties would say, I promise this. And the other party would say, I promise that. And then with these dead carcasses, I know it's, it's really gross, right? It's gruesome. Have you read the rest of the Bible? Okay, so there they're laid out. We both make our promises. And then what happens? Both parties act out the covenant. They walk between the carcasses. It's like this sort of gross little processional that goes back and forth. And what they're saying is, if I do not keep my end of this covenant, may I be like these animals dead at my feet, dead, destroyed, and gone. They're invoking the curse of these dead animals, the blood of these animals on themselves. If I do not keep, if I do not live up to my promises, may I be dead like these animals on the ground. Whew, makes a big impact, doesn't it? Sort of scares people into obedience. But this is what it means to make a covenant. And you know what's amazing is God is willing to make a covenant with us. God's willing to actually condescend To us and say, All right, you wanna know? Let's make a binding covenant. You know, when our kids were little, I learned pretty quickly that the words I promise from a parent are very dangerous, right? We'd be talking about doing something and they'd say, Do you promise, daddy? I'd say, I promise. And then something would happen, right? And I would have to renege on the promise. And then you've got a three year old looking at you saying, daddy, you promised. And so I learned quickly to never promise anything. To this day, my children will tell you, it doesn't matter what we're doing. I will say, we'll see. That's our best intention. That's what we're hoping for. But I will not say I promise because I do not want to have another one of my dear children say, but daddy, you promised. God is willing to be held to his promises. God is willing for us to cry out to him. You promised. God is willing to enter into a binding agreement in such a way that just like Moses, when he's up on the mountain at Sinai, not, not the first Sinai, but the second Sinai, the moment when he, God is like, I'm gonna destroy the second moment on Sinai, God is so upset with all their pagan golden calf worship. God says to Moses, just step back from these people. I'm gonna destroy the nation of Israel. And you're like, and it was a test. But, and what does is, what is, what is Moses say? You promised, you promised that you would not destroy us. You promised you would keep us and protect us and guide us. And you know what? God said, you're right. I did make that promise. God puts himself in a position with humanity where he makes promises that we can cry out through the ages. Oh Lord, you promised. And he says, you're right. I did. I have bound myself to you. God will keep his promises. And we see in Genesis 15 is he'll keep the promises even more than we would have imagined. Because here's what happens at the end of this weird covenant ceremony in Genesis 15. This is not like any other covenant ceremony we've ever seen. Because normally what happens in the covenant ceremony is this, right? As I said, both parties make their promises. Both parties then walk between the dead carcasses to declare If I do not live up to my promises, may I be like these animals, dead, destroyed, killed. Abram gets it all ready. We're going to make a covenant. And what happens? Verse 12, something strange and amazing and unbelievable happens. Two things fall on Abram. Verse 12, number one, a deep sleep falls on Abram. Now, it's actually more of an immobilization because God is still speaking and interacting with Abram, but he can't move. A deep immobilization falls on this man. Abram can't move, can't walk. And you wanna say, well, he's gonna have to walk if he's gonna make covenant. Wait for it. It's not just a deep immobilization and a deep sleep that falls on Abram. Another thing falls on him, a dread and great darkness, verse 12 says. Dread and great darkness. Now, some have said, this is because God is about to tell them about Egypt, right? What does he follow next? He says, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that's not theirs and they shall be servants and afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on that nation they serve and will bring them out with great possession, right? Some have said, oh, the dread and great darkness is God's about to tell them about the Exodus, that horrible, powerfully horrible moment in Israel's history. But the truth is, the dread and Great Darkness is about another event that is coming which is much more, incredibly, incredibly horrifying than the Exodus. It's pointing to another event that will happen much later on, that the whole host of heaven gathers around this moment and is horrified at what God is about to do, because Abram immobilized, dread darkness fallen upon, something bad's about to happen, something crazy's about to happen. Verse 17, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch appear. And you say, what's that all about? Well, that's the language of God's presence. At Sinai, we're told in Genesis or Exodus 19, that when God came down on Sinai, when Moses went up to Sinai, that Sinai was filled and surrounded with smoke because the Lord had come down on the mountain in fire and the smoke was going up like a kiln Smoke and fire is the language of God's very own presence. God descends in that moment. Abram is immobilized. Great dread darkness falls. God's own presence appears in the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch. And then what happens? The smoking pot and the flaming fiery torch pass between the pieces. God Walks between the pieces. And then that's it. Then it says, "On that day, God made a covenant with Abram. Abram's still immobilized. Abram never walked. God walked between those pieces alone. And you've got to say, what does that mean? It means that in this moment, God is declaring to Abram, you want to know? if I will ever forsake you? You wanna know that that I'm committed to you, not conditionally, but covenantally, that there is nothing that you can do that will separate you from the love of God? You wanna know that? Well, guess what? On that day, God walked between the pieces of that covenant sacrifice alone. Meaning, God is saying, if I should not fulfill my promises, may I be killed. But since God walked alone, he took the other half of the covenant on himself. And if you do not keep your side of the promises, may I be killed. See, friends, God walked alone that day, which means you and I can know. (laughs) We know more than Abram. You and I can today know that God's commitment to us is not conditional, but covenantal because we can look to the cross. See, 2,000 years after that moment, a dread darkness again fell upon the earth. As Matthew 27 says, between the sixth hour and the ninth hour, darkness fell on the land. And Jesus, hanging on the cross, cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then in verse 50, he breathed his last and died. We had failed to keep our side of the covenant. Every person in every generation had failed to keep our side of the promises. And since God alone walked, God alone died, bearing the full punishment and the full weight of everything we had done wrong. How can I know that God will stick with me in this adventure of faith? How can you and I know that God's commitment to us is not conditional, but is covenantal? Friends, Genesis 15 tells us that we can know. All we need to do is look to the cross. You know, each and every week, we come in here. We gather for word and sacrament. We are invited to the Lord's table. Each and every week, we can feel like Abram. Lord, I don't know if it's all going according to plan. I don't know if you're having second thoughts about me. And every week he brings us back in here and says, remember, remember through this feast that I knew before I called you that you would fail. And so I knew when I called you that I alone would walk that covenantal walk so that I alone would bear that covenantal death. And so every week regardless of whether you walk in here feeling like I'm a winner or you walk in here saying I am dead weary. God says at this table, my body broken for you. My blood shed for you. The new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of Of your sins. Do this to remember. Do this week after week, season after season, to remember God walked alone, God died alone. And it is upon this cross of Christ that we can know that God is committed to us. As Romans 8, 31 says, what shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him give us all things? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.